I think a materialist approach to things is very, very consistent with uh, my experience in Christian social justice. I feel like the, the deeper I get into anarchist practice, the deeper my faith is getting at the same time. I would hope that you know, securing means of life for all would be something all people of faith would say, oh yes, that's at the basis of what we believe. Those who are most marginalized know the most about the truth, good and the beautiful. To me, it's less that I think building class solidarity is a bad thing, as much as it seems like if you don't attend to things like anti-black racism, um, that's always going to get in the way of building class solidarity, actually. And when you go back, you find that a lot of uh, revolutionary grassroots participatory movements, the, the precursors to what you could call um, the barrio assemblies and these like, you know, grassroots neighborhood organizations, a lot of these were sponsored by the church. What does it mean to say that the Christian tradition is internally contradictory and there are antagonisms there? Um, you're always uh, being faithful to some aspects and betraying other aspects. Welcome to the Magnificast, a podcast about Christianity and leftist politics. I'm Dean Detloff, and I am not sick yet. And I'm Matt Bernico. I'm extremely sad that the Creation Museum is closed. <laughs> what a huge bummer. A bad day for all of us. COVID-19, when will you relent? I was going to go. This is my time. I bought my tickets. I was. I had my Creation Museum t-shirt. I've been listening to Ken Ham for weeks. And now it's closed. And my whole trip is <laughs> off. I'm so sad. Yeah, what a tragedy. What more will you take from us? Before we jump into the episode here, let me uh, quickly say, uh, first of all, we appreciate everyone who supports us on Patreon. Um, it is amazing it's surprising and i can never believe that so many people like us enough to give us money and we appreciate you all so much um yeah it's probably good now to say that we um in this in this uh this terrible time where we're all stuck at home or at least a lot of us are um we are creating a little bit more content just a just a tiny bit more content and we're putting it up there just a touch a tad just a t- one tad one uh just uh one dollop will do you um and uh yeah we're taking all of like the uh you know we decided that <laughs> our podcast was too funny and that we were just going to take all of the funny reddit <laughs> jokes that we do at the uh, beginning of so many of these episodes and we're gonna put them on patreon instead of uh cluttering up our important uh our important uh marxist work here so uh if you like that content if you um if you like us then you can uh, get it at uh, patreon.com slash the magnificast COVID-19 we're still talking about it we took a break last week to talk about Bruno Latour take one of those big philosophy breaks stuck indoors what else can you do but read French philosophy I guess um you could do more and in this episode <laughs> we're going to talk about what more you could do uh so the pandemic is taking all those big structural problems of capitalism that we all know and love and exacerbating them to a tipping point uh we talked about that a little bit a couple weeks ago when we looked at mike davis um but today we're going to talk a little bit about how people are really taking advantage of that situation and intervening in it so workers across north america have had enough and there are strikes and walkouts all over the place um just to give you like a few among very many uh amazon workers in new york went on strike Uh, a guy even got fired over it um over proposing the strike postal workers in edmonton alberta went on strike and postal workers across uh, canada have been um talking quite a lot about what's going on and it's all a very unstable situation uh instacart workers around the u.s went on strike sanitation workers in pittsburgh they had a, a work stoppage um mcdonald's and other fast food workers across the u.s went on strike uh and it's not just workers when we're recording this it's april 1st which means that rent is due and today even renters are planning to go on strike so it looks like we've been right all along or at least partially uh capitalism has created its own grave diggers Sorry, capitalism. We've been warning you this whole time for for years. We've been saying this. It's your own fault. You're going to just you're going to cause the thing that kills you. Well, um, (laughs) in light of this big uh, this big strike wave uh, this week on the Magnificast, we're doing a big roundup of all the best strike content and mutual aid work that's happening (laughs) at the moment. Yeah, I mean, like uh, COVID-19 It's extremely uh, grim. It's bad. It's dark it's going to probably kill way more people than it needs to. Um, but, uh, you know, I guess we can uh, look at some like thing that's happening, which is, you know, workers are seizing on the moment and um, 
they're uh yeah i don't know learning sort of from just the material conditions they're in and they're uh finding the courage and strength and solidarity to uh oppose their bosses and say no to what's happening and and uh strike together that's awesome and good so we should probably shine a little bit of light on that whole situation um yeah yeah, uh, we'll also talk about Christians responding to COVID-19 and uh, how maybe Christians should respond um, a little bit more loudly about some things and also keep on doing the very good things that they are doing. Uh, there are some good things, believe it or not, the Christians are doing, but they should be doing even more. That's the typical <laughs> Magnificast line, I think, <laughs> on this on this show. Uh, anyway, let's start out talking a little bit about the labor situation, and then we'll get into the Christian side of it afterwards. So the exemption from stay-at-home orders for essential workers like healthcare workers makes sense, but grocery store employees and delivery services and fo- food service workers are also counted among essential employees and essential workers, which means they're all putting themselves in harm's way to make sure that we can get food and get that new um, Nintendo product you've been waiting for that you have to have to get through this pandemic. And uh, also uh, making sure that you can get that Big Mac uh, delivery. Um, They're all out there uh, making sure that you can continue to live that life. Um, I don't know. Painting that way sounds bad, but uh, they are essential workers in reality, but uh, they probably don't need to put their lives on the line so that people can just keep consuming. <laughs> That's my hot take. <laughs> yeah, it's not a bad hot take. I mean, you know, you, you you might be watching the old media cycles just happen before your eyes and you might be thinking things like, OK, grocery store workers, I get it. I get how they're essential because that's how I get food or like Instacart workers. Right. Like, of, of course, they're essential because I don't want to leave my house because I'm immunocompromised and that's how I get food or, you know, those kinds of things. They make sense. But then other folks like I mean, like like food service people, I've seen a lot of criticism of like, why are they essential workers? And I mean, I think that's a good question. <laughs> um they're essential workers in insofar as they feed the communities that they're in. And I think that's true, right? Um, they do that. And that is important. Um, but on the other hand, like um, McDonald's and fast food, like Wendy's and other, other uh, chains like that, they spent a lot of money and time lobbying so that they could stay open during this time. So that they wouldn't get like hindered by shutdown orders. So it's not like completely altruistic that they're open. Um, and uh, the workers there are absolutely suffering under the circumstances. So it's all pretty bad. Yeah, and of course, it's bizarre that there's no uh, sick leave for a lot of those people and no supports. And most of them, many of them are still being paid minimum wage, uh, which is already too low in the first place. So it's not as though the essential worker designation uh, awards any kind of material dignity. Um, That's right. It's just kind of one more compulsion to pain, which is too bad. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, so there's a lot of good articles that have come out about it i mean you know again this is a t- it's a tough situation um but at least um people started caring about the working class all of a sudden um maybe they always did maybe they always cared this whole time but it seems like more care now <laughs> um <laughs> you, you know you can you can barely throw a rock without hitting an article that's about um labor at the moment and that's a good thing i feel like that's uh that's a positive outcome that labor reporters are really doing their job which is not surprising because they always do their job, but just more, more people care right now. Um, other other reporters are being forced to be labor reporters, and that's also very interesting. We should all be labor reporters, really. Um, that's right. <laughs> yeah, in um, the New York Times, The Cut, which is like, a, I guess, an imprint of the New York, <laughs> New York Times. I don't read the New York Times enough to know about that at all, but uh, there it is. Yeah, there's um, uh, a reporter there named Bridget Reed who wrote an article called Every Food and Delivery Strike Happening Now. It was updated today uh, at 11.32, and today is April 1st again, so you're listening to this not on April 1st, probably. That'd be extremely weird if you were. Um, but anyways, <laughs> it's a it's just a helpful article because it lays out every single strike going on at the moment or that has gone on in the last day or so. And I just want to quickly read the names because it's so good. It's it's a great feeling to, to see everything up here. So um, McDonald's, they did a big strike yesterday in St. Louis and in Memphis and also in um florida there were walkouts um all over the place they were doing a stay home strike it was great um check out show me 15 for all the pics and the quotes and the vids it's good um it was good yeah uh before that happened yesterday though um mcdonald's stores people were walking out um in chicago and in san jose and in los angeles so there's been sort of like a wave of mcdonald's activity 
um, happening over the last few weeks because of the coronavirus particularly. Um, so there you go. Uh, folks at McDonald's are uh, fighting that big union fight and trying to get organized and walking out of their workplaces, and uh, they should. Yep, but apart from them, there's other places like Family Dollar and Food Lion and Walmart. It's good stuff. Amazon, that's the one that everyone has heard about in the last few days. We'll talk about Amazon a little bit more uh, later in the episode. That's where uh, an Amazon worker uh, in New York, a guy named Chris Smalls, got fired for, well, you know, Amazon doesn't say that he fi- he got they got fired for going on strike, but like, that's why. Uh, he did. He did, though. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, Whole Foods workers are on strike. Uh, Trader Joe's workers are not on strike, but they um, they have a pretty good union drive going at the moment. And they were sitting around a petition last week. So they're like organizing um, and who knows what will happen with them. But hopefully um, they, I don't know, win a union. Uh, Instacart workers went on strike, I think, on Tuesday of this week, um, March 31st. Uh, Instacart is a like grocery delivery app. They're gig workers and um, the you know, their strike is a lot more complicated because, um, you know, they're not just in one place geographically. They're everywhere. And uh, anyways, all very important. Just the same. Talk about them a little bit later, too. There's a really good working people podcast if you uh, about the Instacart strike that you should listen to as well. Um, and then Purdue, the chicken producers in Georgia, they all walked out on the 23rd. So that was last week. Um, so all of these things are happening because um, the coronavirus situation is like really just revealing sort of like all of the large structural problems of capitalism and then just twisting the knife and all of it. It's really showing, I guess, like how precarious and terrible this all is. I mean, I think it's, um, you know, we all kind of know, we, we all, if you've been on Twitter for five seconds, all know that, you know, everyone is just like always $500 away from, you know, their, their life being financially ruined. That's a thing that people usually talk about with regard to, um, like medical bills and stuff like that. But, you know, now it's even worse than that, right? Because people have to pay rent today on April 1st or, you know, around April 1st or whatever. Um, They have to pay their bills. They have to pay their rent. And, like, a lot of people have been laid off massively. Massive amounts of people have been laid off. And they're just, like, screwed. And the only thing that people can do in these situations is lobby to their bosses to, you know, give them more money, wait for a government bailout, or, like, walk out. And a lot of people are choosing to walk out. And it's the right decision. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, it's also an interesting sort of moment because in the same way that coronavirus has revealed all kinds of uh, strange things about capitalism that were always there, but now have hit a certain crisis point. Um, it's also revealing, I think, the power that the working class has always had and has been trying to sort out what kind of power it has, right? So in the electoral struggle up till now, uh, people have been funneling a lot of those kinds of energies, our collective energies, into different campaigns, and that's fine. <laughs> but uh, you can't really do that right now, right? The the campaigning is kind of suspended for a minute, uh, not completely, but certainly a lot more than it was. And I think that people are also kind of recognizing that other kinds of collective action really do get the goods, as they say. Um, you know, one thing that I always like to talk about when it comes to capitalism and, and socialism in general is uh, the big lesson is that it's working people who have power to decide what they want to do. And if they don't show up for work, uh, that's a big problem for people in power. And I think people are thinking about that a lot more, whether it's rent strikes with people withholding their uh, their rent. We'll talk more about that uh, later. But whether it's that putting pressure on landlords and governments to create real subsidies and help people through the crisis or whether it's people not going to work until their demands are met in the middle of a crisis. Um, it just seems like that's something that's also being revealed, this this real seat of labor power that has kind of been dormant until now. Yeah, totally. It's actually, you know, it's a good thing to pull out that there is a presidential primary going on right now and no one gives a shit. Right. <laughs> like, can you even imagine like last month we were like really concerned about this. And now um, now that the material conditions have forced us into considering a whole, whole lot more things that are actually essential to our lives, like how we're going to pay our rent, how we're going to eat, you know, are we going to be safe from this like terrible pandemic and so on. And uh, I don't know, it's it's a big uh, society spectacle kind of moment, <laughs> you know, like the uh, yeah, yeah. The, all of the all of the sort of like um, spectacular capitalism that's always before us fades away when our lives are actually in question. 
it's actually the opposite of society spectacle, but no big deal. It's not a big deal. I'm not <laughs> talk about that at all. Yeah, yeah. But no, I mean, you're right about that, though. I mean, it's uh, it is a wild thing and revealing the the spectacular nature of the world that we usually inhabit that becomes kind of less and less exciting when you're forced to stay inside all day. Um, I mean, I watched Tiger King. Who didn't? Um, yeah, like the other side of it, too, is like this whole crisis is revealing that the political authorities that we do have are completely ill-equipped to understand the complexities of the society that they're ostensibly running. Right. Um, even Joe Biden can't bring himself to say, yeah, it turns out maybe having Medicare for all is a good idea after all. Maybe you shouldn't have health insurance tied to your employer. Uh, especially when everybody gets laid off, right? And if Joe Biden can't understand that in light of this crisis, then surely he never, ever will. Uh, And if that's the case, then you've got to find some other movement, right? Something outside of electoral politics to put pressure on people because that's the only way you're going to get anything. You're not certainly not going to get it from Joe Biden having a change of heart listening to uh, the stories of American people or something like that. Yeah. Because he doesn't even have a heart. The big Grinch, Joseph Biden. (laughs) That's right. That big green Biden. Uh, let's get into though a little bit more about that. The the attempt to build that very movement. Yeah. So there is a ton of journalism out there. Um, we pulled out just a few articles. This one is from uh, the Huffington Post of all places. Not usually my go to place, uh, but an article by Dave Jamieson that the title is "The Coronavirus Worker Revolt Is Just Beginning." And uh, the way that he puts it here, I think, is good, where he says the pandemic didn't cause this workplace revolt, but it has laid bare the gaping holes of the social safety net and how little security and agency most American workers have on the job, whether they're low wage at will service employees or independent contractors, quotes, paid by an algorithm. Many have calculated that working under their current conditions is riskier than publicly shaming their employers for them. Uh, And then he quotes um, a labor organizer. I think COVID-19 is showing the impunity with which employers can really neglect the very survival of their workers. We're talking about a real indifference to life, said Daniel Gross, a labor organizer and founder of the Food Industry Workers Center Brand Workers. At the same time, and this is the hopeful part for me, Gross goes on to say, we're seeing how that impunity can be undone and undone quite rapidly when workers come together and take action. So again, uh, it's just the the sort of dual revelations here, right? On the one hand, the revelation of the uh, failure of capitalism to get anybody through any kind of real crisis situation. Uh, and on the other hand, the revelation of uh, real workers' power and what it means to take collective action. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, um, okay, I'm going to tip my hand just a little bit. Um, I don't really want to say too much about it, but um, I... I used to be a college professor a long time ago. Now I work in a different situation. I work in the labor movement. And um, some of the folks I work with went on strike the other day. Um, and just talking to, like, hearing some of their stories and talking to them um, is really interesting because, like, a lot of them, this is, like, for the first, this is the first time they walked out or this is the first time they did a strike. And um, it is, <laughs> I mean, saying it's a revelatory moment, like he just did, Dean, is exactly right because they're just now revealing, it's, like, being revealed to them that, like they do have a whole lot of power in this situation. Like I heard a story today when I was on this phone call um, from uh, this dude that was striking in Memphis and, um, and the organizer was kind of relaying the story back to us. He was just like, yeah, this guy was telling me that he was really worried about going back to work. He didn't want anything. He didn't want his boss to like, um, you know, take any action against him. And we're, you know, he was trying to convince him, like and tell him because legally they can't um, that, you know, it's, it's not going to happen. It's no big deal. Like if it does, let us know. We can get a lawyer, et cetera, et cetera. But the guy was like, yeah, um, my boss, I went in today. My boss told me like, yeah, you should have told me you're going to go on strike. I wouldn't have put you on. I wouldn't have put you on the schedule. And then like the organizer had to explain <laughs> to him like, yeah, man, like that's exactly the point. We don't want to tell them. <laughs> but anyways, all that I'll say like, um, yeah, people are, are really coming to understand that like um, working people have a whole lot of power, right? Just like you said, if you can, uh, if you're scheduled to work and you don't come in and that puts your boss in a really tough place, um, that's power. That's what it means to have power, um, especially when like um, in this in these dire circumstances, too, that we're in. Um, workers have way more power than they even might imagine, right? Like a, a big walkout is is a big deal when like only half the workers are actually there and, and you know, still on um, payroll or something. Um, you know, at fast food restaurants, when you have like three workers in the entire restaurant or whatever, and like two of them walk out, like your manager is screwed. And that's awesome. <laughs> you should you should exercise that power regularly. 
Yeah, that's right. Um, I think too. So that is all very helpful um, in with respect to the labor movement. Uh, the virus is also revealing the collective power that people even have in terms of their kind of social communities or social unions, as they're sometimes known, or things like tenants associations, uh, basically other kinds of ways in which people collectivize to uh, put pressure on different kind of um, choke points of capitalism. Uh, so I mentioned the rent strike earlier. I'll explain a little bit more about that. Uh, so the premise sounds simple enough. Um, you just don't pay your rent. It's April 1st. You don't pay it. Uh, but you actually, it like, it wouldn't be wise for just a person in general not to pay their rent. <laughs> that would be a very bad idea yeah. uh, because you would just get evicted. Or even if, like right now in Ontario, evictions are suspended, the landlord will just wait till they're not. <laughs> and we'll find a way uh, to evict you for sure. Um, so what are you supposed to do then? Let's say you need that, you know, uh, $1,000, $2,000 a month in your pocket because you're living through a wild global pandemic right now and you don't really know what's going to happen, well, uh, hopefully you could find a number of other people in your building who are also willing to say, hey, sorry, but uh, we're not going to pay our rent right now. Um, and uh, that is the gamble that a lot of people are making uh, at this very moment in the US and Canada on this very day, in fact. And uh, I've been following a number of groups, especially um, tenants groups here in Toronto, because the city is already in a housing crisis before the pandemic. And uh, there's a lot of really fascinating stuff about this very revelatory moment, like you're saying, like a lot of people who are nervous about paying their rent, not sure if they can really do it because they have, you know, been basically uh, suspended in their employment for a while. And uh, it's really fascinating to kind of watch people be texting back and forth and posting screenshots of their conversations saying things mm. like, hey, my landlord is saying they're going to um, evict me like today or under these conditions. What do I do? And then other people being like, look, I'm a housing lawyer. Your landlord literally can't do that. They are lying to you. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's really laying bare all kinds of strategies that uh, that landlords have and, and other kind of exploitative um, landlord companies have to basically convince you that uh, they deserve their money more than you do. And again, it's just kind of revealing the nature of power in society and also revealing that you actually do have more agency than you think as long as you have other people backing you up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a great example, though, of just like the ways that organization, solidarity and collective action do indeed get those goods, all of the goods. <laughs> I mean, it's important that, right. because like organizing a rent strike, organizing a walkout uh, at your job or whatever is going to do way more than like the government stimulus check is going to do. It's going to do way more than like even if. So, I mean, the United States isn't even, well, obviously, I guess, uh, as progressive as, as Toronto right now, right? Like, you know, um, <laughs> mortgages mortgages might be on hold in some places and you might not have to pay them this month. But, you know, after this is over, then you'll have to pay them or whatever. But um, all that to say, like, uh, you know, even like a, even stimulus money isn't going to help you really in the long run. But like collective action will. And it's like, a, mm -hmm. it's an investment, you know, we're all we're so worried about the stock market. Oh, they're down the Dow Jones. <laughs> it's so bad. But the real investment is the neighbors and comrades you make along the way. Because though, <laughs> right. I mean, like, I don't know, um, they'll, they'll, it'll pay off, right? Like, um, if you can organize the people around you in any capacity, uh, it will benefit you in the long run, because there's more uh, infrastructure that you can build up to, to harbor against the oncoming storms of like garbage landlords and shitty bosses and stuff. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, I was, uh, I wrote, so for people who don't know, I'm a section editor, editor at G's Magazine, which is a very good publication that if you don't know anything about, you should look it up right now and buy a subscription if you can afford it. If you withheld your rent, use some of that rent money, it's, buy a subscription to G's. It's so good. It's very good. Um, and not just because I write for them. It would be good even if I didn't write for them. Uh, it was even before I wrote for them. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I write a section there about civil disobedience. And this time around, instead, I decided to write about uh, social solidarity in light of the pandemic. And as I was looking for examples of things to report on, I found at first I kind of thought, oh, boy, this is going to be like a brutal Google search because sometimes it is. Uh, but in this case, it was actually like I ended up with way more stuff than I could possibly use. And uh, in addition to the work strike and rent strikes, there's all kinds 
of really fascinating mutual aid networks that are just popping up all over the place. Um, it's Going Down, which is a podcast, but also a kind of anarchisty lefty news source. Um, they compiled like a, an updated list of mutual aid groups that are all around the U.S. and Canada. And it is amazing. Like it's staggering how many there are. And if you just kind of poke around on them and look up what people are doing, you know, they're not like radical things to do. It's like people posting, uh, hey, um, I can't go outside of my apartment because I'm immunocompromised. Can I, someone give me groceries? And someone else being like, yes, I have a car and I will get you groceries once a week. Or, you know, people like dog walking for one another or offering uh, even just like their time to be available to people who are single and maybe stuck in their apartment and can't, you know, go out and need some social interaction. Like those kind of simple acts do turn into very radical kinds of acts uh, in the middle of a pandemic. And I think that too is a, a revelation of collective power, right? That you're not just powerless and stuck indoors because we're socially isolating. Uh, it actually sort of should jumpstart certain creative capacities that we have to figure out how to take care of each other because we know that, you know, our bosses and, prime ministers and presidents aren't going to do that for us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, the, the second revelation that the uh, the powers that be have no idea what they're going to do in this, in this situation, other than like find excuses to line their own pockets with more money, um, I think is, is an important revelation that that will definitely take its toll on people um, and their disillusionment with, you know, the, the current sort of administrations across the board. Um, yeah, the only people they're going to take care of are, the only way that we're going to take care of ourselves is if we kind of step up and do it with one another, which is um, a big task, but I think it's the only way to get through it. I think you're right, Matt. I think you're onto something here. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate the affirmation. <laughs> um, all right. All right. Uh, what, yeah. Let's go to, go ahead. <laughs> let's go to one more, uh, one more piece in this roundup before we talk about uh, other topics. Um, this is from, okay. So the Huffington post, a weird place to get labor news sometimes, but again, everyone in the situation is a, uh, is a labor reporter, but uh, a better place to go for labor news is Sarah Jones at the intelligencer. Um, Sarah Jones is probably one of my favorite labor reporters. It's weird to have, it's weird to have favorite labor reporters, but, but she's (laughs) it. She's my fave. Um, she, I should say she did a fantastic interview a little while ago, like months ago now for uh, know your enemy. And it's really fun to listen to both just to talk about like yeah. labor reporting and also kind of her own, I don't know, journey and situation in journalism coming from a rural area and from a, a conservative Christian background. Anyway, neither here nor there, but a very good thing to listen to if you need more. You always need more Sarah Jones content. Um, I have a I have a news alert specifically for her articles, so that I'm dedicated. I'm a big Sarah Jones head <laughs> over here. So it's uh, for me for my labor reporters. So we should start a fancy labor reporters uh, league or something. Yeah, I think you're right. I'm going to draft Sarah Jones and Hamilton Nolan, and they're going to be my two starting lineup people. I don't know. <laughs> I couldn't even get that far in the sports metaphor, but it's great. All right. So anyway, Sarah Jones wrote this article uh, very recently called "The Coronavirus Is Radicalizing Workers," and this is what Sarah Jones has to say. Protests at Amazon, Instacart, and Whole Foods, where low-paid workers have found themselves on the front lines of a global disaster, have created a public relations nightmare for the companies who say they're providing essential services to Americans stuck at home. While workers like Chris Smalls uh, don't dispute the necessity of their jobs, they say their employers aren't taking basic steps to protect them from infection. As they tell it, these essential corporations are actually placing the public at risk. Now, desperate. Uh, now, desperation is driving these workers to measures some never thought they'd take. The pandemic changed things, Smalls told Intelligencer on Tuesday, and so did Amazon's response to the crisis. A five-year Amazon employee who has never been involved in any previous organizing work, uh, Chris Smalls suddenly finds himself out of a job. Amazon fired him on Monday, hours after he helped lead a protest at a Staten Island warehouse. Um, this is a little bit later in the article. Um, this is a this is a quote actually at the very end from Sarah Nelson, who is uh, not a labor reporter, but one of my faves in the labor movement. Yeah, she's the she rocks. She's so good. Yeah, she's the president of the flight attendants in the CWA. Um, and uh, man, do I like Sarah Nelson? Okay. Anyways, Sarah Nelson says at the end of this article, we will band together as a nation of working people to demand it. Um, that is like the uh, the demands that they're going for paid sick leave, etc. Um, it's horrible that a lot of people will feel more pain in the process because the system has been so rigged against the public for so long. She added no more. 
Sarah Nelson's right. No more. Um, but uh, the story about Chris Smalls that Sarah Jones writes, I think, is pretty powerful, right? This dude who's just like an Amazon worker, right? He's never been. He, he, people have been trying to organize an Amazon for a long time, and Amazon's responded with giving them, you know, some small wins like $15 an hour and some other things like that. But like, by and large, Amazon has been a thoroughly shitty place to work forever. <laughs> like they track, mm-hmm. um, they track like every small thing that uh, that they do. It's like it's the height of Taylorism for sure. Um, anyways, so this dude who's been like playing by the rules of Amazon for five years, he steps up and like this, this, this whole situation is enough, right? It's not just uh, a danger to his life, his family's life, his workers' lives, but also he thinks it's a public health risk because they're not like taking time to clean the warehouses. I, uh, a part of the story I remember, uh, from earlier in the week was that like, um, because Amazon tracks every single thing they do, every single task that a worker does in an Amazon warehouse is tracked and like they get, um, you know, you might get written up for taking too long to do something thing like the the rub was that like um if somebody sneezed they wouldn't have enough time to go wash their hands without being like written up for it Mm -hmm. and like that's i mean first of all that's absolutely like absurd way to run a warehouse uh you know people that work there that's that's crazy that's not a good thing to do so anyways anyways this is like too much for this guy chris smalls and he like he participates in this protest and they all walk out and like, good for them. But like, this is, I think, um, indicative of like the the larger moment that's happening, right? The 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 material conditions are shaping these workers who have just been, you know, workers for the most part, into people who are now ready to throw down over these things. And I think that's, again, Marxist. We've we've been saying it for years, and now we're right. We're we've been proven right finally. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I mean, here and there, for sure. I'd like to be proven even more right. Let's hope. Fingers crossed. (laughs) That's right. Uh, But yeah, Um, I mean, it's true, though, right? Like the wild thing about this is so many people are activating and organizing, not because they're Marxists, which is very important, right? They're they're doing it because this is just what life is forces on you if you live under capitalism. Uh, I was thinking about this uh, speech that a guy made um, at the at a construction site here in Toronto. This is a video that people might have seen. It, w- it went sort of viral, I guess. Um, he is a union member, so not like a guy who isn't connected to anything. But um, <laughs> nevertheless, the speech is pretty great. <laughs> it's like pretty impromptu. His name's uh, Jack De Silva. He's a member of the Laborers International Union of North America. And uh, in it, um, he says some pretty wild things. A couple of uh, lines that really stuck out to me, though, that I included in my G's column. One was, uh, he says, I've got an 86-year-old with oxygen at home. My wife is crying every time I go home because she doesn't know if I'm going to kill her father if I have something. Mm. So really setting the stakes uh, pretty high, but honestly. And he says, when you're in the work site there, you you guys don't have six feet around you. We're breathing on each other. Where's your eating facilities? Are they sanitized? Do you have water to wash your hands when you eat your sandwiches? Uh, And he goes on to say quite a lot more and specifically indicts the foreman for, you know, not caring apparently about the conditions on that work site Mm. and you just have to imagine that like in the middle of a pandemic when everyone else is staying home including your family members and you have to go to work and basically be around a bunch of people who may or may not have a virus that could kill somebody that you're going home to uh that leaves an impression right and i think that is a big deal it's uh marxists have a way of talking about this and you know not predicting it as some kind of prophecy or something but understanding that this is the nature of the economy that we live in that it will create these kinds of contradictions and people will have to respond and uh the marxist bet is if we can at least try to remember that those things are always going to come up and organize uh in the meantime such that when they do come up we have some some apparatuses capable of uh, activating that stuff in the right direction then we'd be better off than otherwise and uh again it looks like we're right (laughs) (laughs) one one more time that marxists are right uh i wish they were right about more things Uh, i wish they were right that we'd automatically have a revolution after this but uh, at least they're right about that the capitalism is bad and uh people do just kind of figure that out on their own right yeah well get it up on the the scoreboard just the same we'll mark it down it's fine um <laughs> man uh just a quick i guess this is just more of a, re- a reflection on the point you just made um kind of in the trenches uh the other day when all the fast food workers were on strike um something i kept seeing people saying or like the the sort of public relations spin on the whole situation was was like well you, you know if you have coronavirus you can you could have paid sick time right like that well if you have that particular thing we'll give you paid sick time i don't know what all this complaining is about but like it's such <laughs> a absolutely like 
naive, like purposefully naive way to look at the world or, or policy to make. It's like, <laughs> like, that's just not how that's not the nature of sickness that, that you get it right. and you immediately know what it is. Or that even if you did know what it was and you like, you, you know, even if you had all the symptoms, it's not like you there's an easy way to get tested and like basically mm-hmm. anywhere. It's just a completely weird um, public relations spin. And, and that's what so much of this is during this time. Right. That uh, right. Companies like I mean, whether whether it's McDonald's or Amazon or Whole Foods or whatever, they're going to make some kind of nice sounding like press release about how they actually care about their workers. But like in practice, they don't because they because they don't know how. But like, mm-hmm. uh, but, but, you know, their, their workers couldn't self like they couldn't self report having coronavirus without like jumping through a whole lot of hoops before they would even get there. It's just a completely right. ridiculous situation. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think too, uh, one other thing to just add to this whole piece, especially just to add the, the Marxist piece is, uh, everything you're saying is right, Matt, right? Like these companies find all kinds of subtle ways of basically, uh, I don't know giving up their own responsibility, I guess, or pretending that they care when they don't. Um, Another thing that gets revealed in this is that uh, capitalism is something that is kind of like, it's the context in which the pandemic has occurred, right? Mm. And in many cases, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, it is the, in in, in many real respects, uh, a driving cause of a global pandemic like the one that we have. And uh, that's something that you can kind of get your head around, maybe in a global sense, right? Like we have these big, massive, networks of commerce and trade and travel. And so it's very easy for a virus to get around, let's say. Um, but I think it actually helps to, to consider it more locally. And I was really helped at least myself by a statement put out by the Communist Party of Ontario about the rent strike. Um, and what was great is they have a way of uh, talking about all the situations in Ontario before the pandemic happened that led to the crisis being as bad as it is mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like a huge point to kind of keep um, bringing up as well, that like the pandemic didn't create a housing crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, the housing crisis has been here and the pandemic is now uh, making it even worse than it already was. Yeah. Um, and yeah, all that to say say i think once again just marxists have a way of kind of putting these things in a context that allows us to understand them a little bit more than just kind of finding ourselves bowled over by them yeah absolutely i mean like the coronavirus didn't didn't make an army of low wage workers right (laughs) like it just just (laughs) provided the situation for them to all be laid off at once Um, yeah exactly yeah totally um well that's Uh, bad that's why sarah nelson the president of flight attendants cwa is right no more No more. That's right. Uh, Well, let's talk about the Christian response to all this, which has not been so forthright, not been so no more about it. (laughs) (laughs) Not that not that Christians are uh, on the side of the coronavirus by any stretch uh, and not even that they're necessarily against the working class uh, in every case, although in some cases they certainly are. Um, But uh, they aren't on the front lines, it seems to me, uh, in the same way that labor leaders are, which is unfortunate. Um, Let's get a few things before we talk about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> First of all. Yeah. But bef- yeah, exactly. Before we get to the, the, the bummer piece, uh, we should talk about some good things that Christians are doing because they are. They are doing some very good things. Like um, we have to hedge our bets here. Like we, we have to make sure we say these things like some churches, yeah. some congregations, some denominations are doing work uh, like, you know, they're doing mutual aid work. They're making they're providing meals for people. Um, they're, you know, doing companionship types of programs. They're doing these things. These things are real. They exist. And they're even like, you know, putting themselves in some risky situations to continue these types of ministries during this this type of pandemic. Yeah. And like, you know, the people that you would expect to be out there in an even more radical way are like the Catholic worker is consistently being quoted in all kinds of articles all across the country as being, uh, you know, it's a Catholic worker church or Catholic worker community, sorry, in uh, Detroit, let's say, that is still staying open despite, you know, closures all around. Or it's the Catholic workers in New York City who are really closing the gaps and uh, ministering to the homeless when other places aren't right. Like, that's all very good and extremely important. Another kind of weird thing, but uh, like weird in that maybe I wouldn't have expected it, which might be unfair on my part, but I was happy to see was uh, the Red Letter Christians group, um, which is kind of like a progressive evangelical type, but also a weird (laughs) in some ways evangelical type uh, group. Um, They did sign a statement on um, against uh, Asian racism, anti-Asian racism uh, in the time of COVID-19, which was a statement put out by... um, 
a group called the Asian American Christian Collaborative. Um, and I was really happy to see that, right? Because that's a, a an angle that gets lost in a lot of this conversation. There is tons of anti-Asian sentiment, uh, as you've seen probably in the news, things like calling the virus the Wuhan virus or the Chinese virus, et cetera. Um, and there's all kinds of like real racist actions that have uh, flow kind of come out of all of that uh, in real daily life. So it's great that Christians are recognizing that that's something that they should speak out against, right? That that could seem like maybe a tertiary issue given all the problems. So I, I was pleased to see that. Um, anyway, all that to say, let me there throw, are... Let me throw one more out there, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So even... So, okay, Christians are showing up in all these ways, in the usual Christian ways, but some Christians are even going kind of above and beyond and showing up in the less usual Christian ways. So, for example, in uh, my city, St. Louis, there's a really strong, like tradition of churches like progressive church denominations uh christian and jewish um and catholic um of like working with the labor movement so there's uh every month in st louis there's a faith labor breakfast where you go down and eat breakfast with all of the people um and it's great it's fantastic anyways there's one organization that is a part of that called metropolitan congregations united and it's just like a big collab it's a big network of churches anyways they showed up for people uh striking this past week so it's not like christians aren't even involved with the labor movement right right but it's like right all that to say it's not the norm though <laughs> right it's like this is like one instance <laughs> where that's happened um yeah and, and as always i feel like we should make a distinction between okay um, there are great, very good Christians who do basically like normal, good Christian things, right? Running soup kitchens and drop-in centers and all that kind of stuff. And like, that's courageous in regular times and it's even more courageous now. And so there's no, uh, definitely not pretending that those things aren't happening or don't exist. Uh, we have to make a distinction between those people who are extremely important and like the kind of, uh, I don't know what to call it, like the circuit of Christian influencers, um, or like public Christian figures or progressive Christian figures. I don't know how to create an umbrella term, but you know, you know, the people that I mean, I, I, yeah. <laughs> that I, it's, yeah, like, we don't want to throw anyone under the bus here that might be doing something yeah. that's actually good. But on the other hand, like the, the largest like Christian angle to the story of, of COVID-19 is like, should churches stay open? Like that's like, right. The, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's that type of dumb, dumb shit that like we have to, I think strive against because <laughs> it's like the worst. Yes. And like most goofy take possible, like, you know, Christians are a big group of people who are supposed to care about the common good in one way or another. Right. That's the common goods, the Catholic social teaching word for it. But like just the same Christians in general should care about that. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know, if, if your biggest concern is like, well, should we have church on Sunday? Uh, that's that's <laughs> dumb. That's bad. Don't think that. Think about something different. Think about a different way to be involved. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, and of course, there's a whole uh, faction of the Christian right that is like actively suicidal, trying to spread this virus for some reason on their own university campuses, etc. But uh, they're not worth talking about. The The real kind of issue, I think, or the real rub is uh, trying to find ways of getting progressive Christians to more explicitly throw in with the working class as part of a side, I think. And that's really maybe like something where I think leftists and Christian leftists in particular can find some way of like speaking into this whole crisis, like trying to uh, express to Christians like, all that stuff is very important. All the soup kitchen stuff, extremely important. Like, keep on doing it. Um, and when you find those surprises, like uh, a bunch of Christians signing in an anti-Asian racism statement, like, all very good, worth promoting. Uh, but at the same time, like, um, Christians should be not just kind of, like, following the trends of the labor movement. They should be within it. And there have been times in history that they've been loudly, as Christians, participating in it. Um, again, there's lots of Christians in the labor movement, but uh, not, you know, they're, they're not like outspoken Christian leaders and also <laughs> labor leaders, <laughs> kind of showing the duality of that identity by any stretch. Um, and for good reason, right? Uh, but it's too bad that, like you said, Matt, the 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 main story here with Christians and COVID-19 is uh, should we keep our churches open? Yeah, totally. I mean, like, um, again, in, in my very small sort of sector of the world, like when, when there are strikes, when there are marches, like there are pastors and church folks and lay people who show up to like get arrested with workers. Like that's, you know, that's what I'm talking about, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, that type of action is, is maybe what we should urge the more progressive Christian crowd to like move toward, not 
that they need to get arrested, but then they need to show up for workers, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, who cares about whether or not your church will be open? More like, what are you going to do next? Right? Like, what what's the next step? Like, how are you going to support your community that actually is going to be struggling through this? I mean, if, if you're a person, if you're a compassionate person who can, like, you know, see Jesus in the least of these or whatever kind of way we want to formulate that, all you have to do is listen to some of the stories of these workers and you will be convicted that like, um, this is where you need to be. This is a struggle you should be invested in. Right. There are like, like there are low wage workers everywhere who need our help dearly, like economically. So, you know, socially, so they need strong advocates to the government. They need all kinds of things. Um, and, uh, like that's what we should show up for, I think. Right. Like, those are if you want to know how to love your neighbor, like literally go look at the people who still have to go to work right now and like figure it out. Yeah, exactly. I think like, yeah, like I, I hate coming across as like lecturing at which I feel like I just sort of like enter into that mode in this podcast. Sometimes <laughs> I feel bad about that. But, uh, you know, I guess to put it in sort of invitational Christian language, Ooh. which I don't use very often. So it's going to sound strange, but it's come like, to the uh, table. come on over to this. Yeah, table. come to the table. What does it mean to, you know, be the church in the era of COVID-19? Because it's not a building. Uh, it doesn't mean... It's, it's all of us. Yeah, it, it's... Exactly. It's not a building. It's all of us. Uh, what's in the middle of church? You are. Uh, that's what I learned in Sunday school. Um, you know, I, I guess what I mean is, like, we're living in a, a situation where a company owned by the richest person on the entire planet, Jeff Bezos, who could solve like the financial crisis of the United States, probably single handedly <laughs> like that man's company is actively endangering the lives of people who are worried about whether or not they can make their rent. And if you're a Christian person who thinks that, you know, Jesus came to like judge the rich and stand up for the poor, uh, you should have something to say about that. That's more than like, we'll be there when you can't afford your groceries, you know, like definitely do that for sure. Be there when people can't afford their groceries, but like be there, you know, two steps before that also. Yeah, totally. I mean, um, I don't know. A lot of people still have to go to work and that's important. You know, not everyone can like work from home. And I think that's something to, to think about too. But for all of us yeah. that can work from home that have the luxury of, you know, being able to social distance ourselves um, from the comfort of our own homes, like the internet is here, man. It's for, it's for your taking. You can do, you can do all kinds of things, all kinds of advocacy work on the internet uh, and just find a place to get plugged in and like, get at it that's all that's all we're asking you to do i think is uh take a, <laughs> yeah. take a look around look for your local union or worker center or or branch of the dsa or whatever um and just like ask what you can do and get into it yeah i think it's also important to say like yes we can't all we don't have the luxury of like working from home but none of us really like extremely few of us i should say actually do have to go to work right now uh, you know, some people for sure do. There's big, important infrastructures that need to be maintained, etc. But like the amount of people who do go to work definitely don't have to. And at the very least, people shouldn't be worried about like trading their health for their wage. Mm. And I think that's something that like uh, it's not um, like it's not a luxury to be able to not have to gamble in the morning with your own life uh, or going to work like that should be a baseline normal thing to do in a society is not have to ask that question. Uh, and the fact that we we do treat that as a luxury in a moment of pandemic uh, is pretty bad. It's just telling of like the overarching like sickness of the soul that so many people in the United States yeah. have, right? Like, um, I mean, you're you're right in saying, like, it shouldn't be a luxury, but, like, it is because, you know, people need yeah. to eat. Like, you know, people have to choose right now. Are they going to take a, are they going to take a sick day, an unpaid sick day, or are they going to go to work? Right. Or they're going to, like, endanger their life and their family's life. And, like, that, you're, you're right that that should not even be a question that you have to ask, but yet it is. And, yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it is it is a question we have to ask because so many people are completely, you know, given over to the idolatry of capitalism of, you know, uh, of of worshiping, like getting more money for themselves in, in a global crisis than they are caring about their workers. Like, 
uh, I mean, Jesus has right to to send the send the rich to hell. Like, it's just like so obvious at this moment, right? Like, why would you? Why does Jeff Bezos need people to go do this right now? You know, like what is going on? Mm-hmm. Why does McDonald's really need these people to show up? Like, what is happening here? Like, could we not organize the situation in any different way <laughs> to get around this? And like, mm-hmm. the, the answer is like, yes, we obviously can. But the fact is that, no, we will not unless people um, really do organize and, uh, you know, create a different type of power. Yeah, and I think that's the most important thing, right? Like, we don't have to wait around for Jeff Bezos to have some, like, miraculous conversion because he never will have one. Right. Uh, The fact is, like, Jeff Bezos has money because a lot of people go to work every day. And if people just didn't he wouldn't have it very long (laughs) and like it's weird to put things that simply but it is true and of course that's like a very utopic vision um of imagining like a real general strike where all of jeff bezos's workers don't go to work for a few days but uh that's the kind of vision that you have to at least kind of operate with and if christianity does anything it definitely teaches you how to imagine things that aren't visible right things that uh hoping for things that you can't see all that kind of stuff the kingdom of god is here and also it's not quite here uh, and I think that lesson of, well, if we want this world to be different, then we have to organize for it. That's really going to be the make or break moment of the coronavirus. Uh, it, it's like you don't have to look at it as finding a silver lining or something. Uh, it's more like looking at this as, well, this event, this crisis is going to be whatever we make of it. So if you're a Christian person, you should want to make of it an economy that is better for poor and working people. Yeah, that's right. Thanks for listening to The Magnificast. If you like what you heard and you want to hear even more, you can do that at patreon.com slash The Magnificast. That's where all the jokes are going. We're saving the best ones for behind the paywall, and we appreciate folks who support us there. Uh, Also, we have some new merch in our Redbubble store. Just go to redbubble.com and search The Magnificast. You can find all kinds of stuff. There's a new Ernesto Cardinal doodle. There's some Daniel Berrigan stuff hanging around there. There's all kinds of goodies you can get on stickers and shirts and soon even buttons that's the the red bubble rumor we'll see whether or not that pans out uh let's see you can find us on twitter at the magnificast you can email us at the at gmail.com and as always our music is by amore armstrong and our outro is by the illogical spoon see you next week i don't want to get up at church in the morning church in the morning souls alive Heaven come to earth and there won't be no church We'll meet down by the riverside There we'll swim with all creation Never get tired, never bored Don't worry, someday there'll be no dam Between us and our Lord Jackson, keep your hoods up Keep your hoods up And you stay up late Jackson, you keep your hoods up, where you keep your hoods up, and you stay up late.